You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Well, you're welcome, Aaron Judge, uh, <laughs> because we took the night off from our show, and much like the last time we took a night off, you hit a home run. 62 this time. 61 was also when Spain and Fitz was off. So, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, Aaron. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Here is what it sounded like when Aaron Judge hit long-awaited number 62. High fly ball, deep left. There it goes, sailing into history. He's done it. He has done it. 62. Aaron Judge is the American League single-season home run leader. That's from the Yes Network. Texas pitcher Jesus Tinoco gets uh, gets the credit for serving up number 62. Second game of a day-night doubleheader. So he was nice and warm for this one. That breaks Roger Maris's record set in 1961. And, of course, Maris's son uh, continued his uh, bully pulpit on this is the real record and he's the true home run king and he's not juiced and yada yada. Uh, I'm kind of done with that part of the conversation, Fitz. Do you, you need any last words on who's the real home win king and whether we should be giving this credit and whether we know he's juiced or not and what came before him and yada yada? Yeah, the, the one sentence on that is that Major League Baseball has made that determination, not me. Like, it, it, it's right. their record books. They've decided how they feel about it. The rest of us can sit down, shut up, color in our books. All right, perfect. I don't have a color <laughs> book in front of me, but now I kind of want one. Um, that's not I, the thing idea. that's interesting to me is for all the credit that I give judge and it is a lot and for all of the statistics around the record that he set and the accomplishment we just saw and i'm not taking away from any of that he is not the best story in baseball to me and he is not the mvp of baseball to me i am endlessly impressed with all those home runs particularly in the current era but shohei otani is doing something that can't even really be categorized. We know what Aaron Judge is chasing. We know who he's chasing. We know who, who's come the closest. We know even if they're historical comparisons and this year he blew away the next closest home run hitter, we still understand what he's doing, which is hitting a lot of home runs. Shohei Otani, it, it's not even something we could have imagined. It's never been done before. It's unbelievable to imagine someone who is who is able to do both things as well as he's done them who is able to be the first time ever qualifying for the league leader in pitching and hitting that's not normal fits and i think it's getting underplayed because it's you have to grasp the entirety of his season instead of watching for one home run to go and knowing it's a record. Uh, this is where so many people are going to come in with the triple crown argument. And let me just loudly say, I don't really care. Like, the triple crown argument is nice, but it's nev- it's not like it's never been done before. I mean, it was done in 2012, right? Cabrera did it with the Tigers in 2012 on a triple crown. So, like, I, I, I mean, that's not that long ago. We're talking about a decade. So, yes, before then, it, it had been 1967. But even that conversation, while the triple crown is significant and hitting this many home runs with the Yankees obviously catches national national attention, I don't think you're wrong in the sense that We've never seen what Shohei does. So if you yeah. are doing once-in-a-lifetime things, not once-in-a-decade, not once-in-a-generation, but once-in-a-lifetime things, 
that stands out as different. The only thing that I think right now, the recency bias of seeing somebody with a brand as important as the Yankees, with all the cut-ins that you either love or you hate, and, and all the attention that comes to everything that Aaron Judge does, it's easy to look at and say MVP. But I'm with you. I think when you when you talk about what Shohei's done, it, it's the sort of thing that will be special forever because most people alive may never see it from anyone not named Shohei. Yeah. Uh, and I think your point about the Yankees is a good one because as much as baseball manages to be a sport where you can succeed as an MVP regardless of your team's outcome, which is very rare, um, we've seen it, you know, all the way back to like the famous ones of Ernie Banks, right? Um, but in this case, I do think it hurts Shohei that the Angels are perpetual, also rans, and continue to not be contenders while the Yankees have all of the publicity and all of the um, enthusiasm around them and, and, and judges doing it in a Yankees yeah. uniform. But to your point, go ahead. You almost have to ask Yankees fans, like, if Shohei – were a Yankee, who would the MVP be right now, right? Like, right. just if a Yankee was doing something that had never been seen before in the history mm-hmm. of any of our lives, Yankees fans would be like, oh my God, the injustice. You won't give the Yankees any credit. But no, if it's not with the Yankee, then apparently it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 200 Ks as a pitcher, 34 home runs, like what he's doing. Um, if you had a season of one of those, it would be incredible, and he's doing both at once. It's just, it's just not, it's just not real life. So, uh, congrats to Judge. Oh, uh, but this time, you know, I, you know I what will... just occurred to me, sir. What just what? like okay, when we're off, Aaron Judge hits home runs, right? Yeah. The good news is that all of Major League Baseball, all the playoffs of Major League Baseball, you can only hear on ESPN Radio. Oh, right there, you we're go. gonna be off for a lot of that. Yankees winning oh, the World Series. Just called it. Killing it. He's called it right here. It. Yankees um, winning the World Series. Now, my, my take on Shohei is tempered only by the fact that I appear to disagree with Tim Kirkshin, and that feels real risky to disagree with Tim Kirkshin in anything relating to baseball. But here's what he said on KJ and Max about what Judge's season is all about. I think you can make a case it is the best season of the last 10 years, meaning it's better than Miguel Cabrera's triple crown season. And you could make a case, at least, it's better than any season had by Mike Trout, which is really, really saying something. But once you get back into the Bonds seasons, and again, there's an asterisk there for a lot of people, and I understand why. Now we're in different territory there. Ted Williams had three of these seasons at least, and would have had three more if not for military service. Babe Ruth had about six to eight of these type of seasons. But again, that was a different time and a different era. I just implore people to not try to compare different eras because they were so different. I, I wish Kirk Jim, by the way, the could spread that era. same message <laughs> to like all the NBA kids. Like every NBA oh, person, yeah. it's like the era versus era. Like we don't ever consider the context era of one era versus. No- I hear Tim. I wish we, we would do that, but that's different. we try. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't even mention Shohei. It doesn't even co- come up. So disagreeing with Tim Kirkshin seems risky, but I'm going to do it. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain, Jason Fitz. By the way, speaking of baseball, Pujols has been doing some incredible things that have also been overshadowed by Judge. And this stat that they just posted the other day was pretty incredible. They took an average of all of his home run trots. Like, what's the average time it takes him to get around the bases? And if you multiplied that by his 700-plus home runs, he has spent more than five hours of his life doing home run trots. Oh my pretty God. incredible. That's... Yeah. 
Wow. I mean, that that's and that's that's a trotting pace that is five hours of life. Like, I, that's probably five hours I, of I, life. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. It's probably more jogging than you've done. Might be my, yeah, yeah, though, well. 100%. <laughs> Might be my favorite stat you've ever brought to the show, though. All Just right. Well, I've got like... a new, I've got another stat later. So okay. hold your horses on okay, that. Okay, perfect. It's a good one. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, we saw the the future of the NBA last night. We'll talk about someone. We'll talk about it with someone next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit progressive.com slash careers. Happy to welcome in senior NBA columnist for The Athletic, John Hollinger. All right, John, for people who did not know last night that they were supposed to be tuning in to Victor Weminyama versus Scoot Henderson, hmm. what did they miss, and why was it such a big deal to watch two guys that aren't even in the NBA? It was like watching the future of what the next 15 years of the league could be. It was I was trying to remember when the last time two prospects of this magnitude were playing each other in a non-NBA game. Uh you know, I'm trying to go like the only thing I could compare it to was being in second grade and watching bird versus magic, Indiana state mm. versus Michigan state. Like it, it was, it felt like that type of level because these guys were so good that, I mean, every scout there was just salivating and they had seen these guys play before. Don't get me wrong, but uh, seeing the improvement that both of them made, even in the last year and, I mean, Wemba Miana just being so huge and just flicking in three-pointers with the greatest of ease. Uh, and then Scoot Henderson, who's a you know athletic guard, his shots come a long way. I thought his passing was really good. Really, he played like a pre-injury Derrick Rose, basically, would be the closest thing I compare it to. Wow. Um, it, was just, it was just incredible to watch. Yeah. So what is the tanking situation going to be <laughs> now that we've seen what the future looks like? Well, fortunately, they've reduced the incentives some. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the best you can do is give yourself a 14% chance to finish with uh, with the top pick. And the bottom four teams have the same odds. And really, if you're in the bottom seven or eight, your odds are all pretty much the same. So, yes, there's an incentive to tank if you there's a certain level where going from sort of bad to kind of 25 win bad is probably helpful, but there isn't as big an incentive to finish with the exact worst record. So So there'll be a lot of terrible teams all near the bottom. My team in 2018 (laughs) that roared to the finish line four and 29. Um, I think there's maybe a little less incentive for that kind of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> because once once you're already bad, like your work is done. So you don't yeah. need to you don't need to outdo somebody to be even worse and try to lose like seventy five games or something. All right, John, John. So a team that is not expected to be in that conversation is the Suns, right? But I'm trying to figure out how they play through what's going on, not just from an ownership standpoint, but from controversy yeah. with DeAndre Ayton specifically and the way he sort of handled his contract. What what should we realistically expect from Phoenix this year? You know, I, I think they're still going to be good just because there's too much talent there, but I don't know that they're going to be 64-win good. I mean, they they have the whole situation with Jay Crowder to deal with, too, where he hasn't 
come to camp with them. Their their depth situation is a little creaky now. I mean, JaVale McGee left. They didn't use any of their exceptions. They didn't have a draft pick this year. So th- their bench is looking thin. Uh, Aiton, I think his kind of motivation and everything after the offer sheet got matched and uh, how last year ended between him and Monty Williams and them getting destroyed by Dallas in Game 7 – yeah, it's 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 a little odd. I'm really interested. I'm actually about to go see them here in Las Vegas play the Lakers tonight, and I'm I'm really interested to kind of see uh, not just whether the shots go in, but just kind of how they look and how their demeanor is with each other and everything. John Hollinger, senior NBA columnist for The Athletic with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can follow him at John Hollinger. A lot of big-name players making their return to the court for the first time in a long time in recent days. Kawhi Leonard, John Wall, Jamal Mayer. Uh, we got, uh, who am I? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Right. Uh, what yeah. stood out to you? Uh, who were you most excited to see um, get back at it? So I was in, I was in Seattle two nights ago. So I saw Kawhi play, and and that was really neat to see because he he looked uh, and actually John Wall came back in that game too, who we haven't seen in a long time. Um, Kawhi I thought looked looked really good, and I think he's probably the most important one of that bunch because the Clippers I think are probably the biggest title contender of of those teams that uh, that we sort of mentioned there, and I. I thought he looked good. I thought he played, he, you know, he played his regular game and everything. I mean, it was a preseason game. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to go too far with this, but I, I was, I think if I'm a Clipper fan, I'm pretty happy with what I saw from him. And by the way, my apologies to Jamal Murray for calling him Jamal Mayers, who was a Blackhawks winger back in the day and whose name will forever be stuck in my <laughs> Wow. I was wondering where you pulled that name from. He's been gone a while, so I blame also Jamal Murray for being gone long enough for me to start calling him Jamal Mayers. But that's a story for another time. Look, I usually just blame drugs for my problems. All right, uh, John, (laughs) let's go to Zion because I don't know what to expect, right? I don't think any of us – we all see greatness when he's on the court. We don't know how long he's going to stay on the court. Then we see, you know, the hype every year. So, again, realistic expectations. What do you expect from Zion this year? Yeah, it's amazing. We get so excited about the Pelicans every year, right? And then right. they start the year like 3-16, and 16, and we're like, uh uh-huh. all right, here we go again. Um, so, I, you know, he looked great. I've seen the clips from the first uh, preseason game he played. I thought he looked uh, fantastic just moving and looked in, in shape and everything. He was really good two years ago. I expect him to get to that level again. The kind of bigger question still about the Pelicans is how are they going to be defensively? Is there enough shooting? Is there, is there more to them than just kind of a a one and done playoff team in in the West? And can Zion be more than just an offensive player for them? Can he give them something at the defensive end too? I think that's going to be really important. So still an unanswered question at this point, but I kind of have high hopes for him this year though. I I thought he looked really good from what I saw. So let, you know, let's hope he can stay on the court all year. John Hollinger with us, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking NBA. You mentioned the Clippers. I think talent-wise, I'm absolutely enthusiastic about getting all those guys together and seeing what they can do. But as I said on the show last week, I always hear in the back of my head, I won't get fooled again because something always goes wrong. Somebody gets hurt. There's a failure down the stretch. There's a lot of DNPs, and you think they're going to come back around and gel, and they don't. Like, What's a reason to believe in the Clippers this year when it always seems to end in disappointment? 
Well, I mean, we've only seen Kawhi and Paul George uh, in the playoffs the one time in the bubble where they had the bewildering collapse against Denver. Um, I I have a fair amount of belief in the in the Clippers that they can get to the finish line just because I think they can load manage these guys through the season and their their team is so deep that it won't really hurt them and they'll have one of the top two seeds in the West. And then it just comes down to probably how they match up against Golden State and, and one or two other teams in the playoff series. What I do worry about with the Clippers a little bit, nobody really talks about this, so they have the two stars with PG and and Kawhi, but they don't really have that third guy. It's it's really just role players around them. So, uh, you know, they, they, they need one more guy around that, you know, Stan Makita, Bobby Hull uh, core to, uh, to, to, <laughs> to really to make it again. go, I think. Appreciate this it. is yeah. well done. The NHL references are out of control. Hey John, hey, John, is there somebody we should have an eye on that we don't right now in your mind? Uh, so as far as teams go? Yeah, yeah, a team that you uh, think is going to surprise. You know, I uh, my pick to win the championship is the Philadelphia 76ers, actually. I think they're going to be really good. I think James Harden's going to have a bounce back year. I think DeAnthony Melton is going to be really important for them, uh, picking him up. Uh, and I, I just think they finally have with the PJ Tucker ac- acquisition, picking up Daniel House. Like they finally have the right pieces around Joel Embiid. So if they're going to do it, I think this is the year. All right. Well, to end on a less happy note, who's a team people are talking about? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, they're not doing anything this year. They're going to be much worse than expected. Uh, who am I not excited about? Oh, you're going to hate me for this. No. Uh, Chicago Bulls. No. No. Um, yes. You know, I was, da- I was down on them going into last year, too, and they surprised How'd that me. that work so out? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just perennially down on them. But the way they ended last year, the injury to Lonzo just, just yeah. really hurts them. He checks so many boxes for them. I'm just not sure there's enough shooting, enough defense there right now. So we'll see. I'm enthusiastic, but I agree that Lonzo was a massive piece of when they were clicking, and that's just been a real bummer of a story throughout for him and for fans. Hey, John, appreciate the time and the hockey talk. Thanks, as always. All right, thanks. Shout out Jamal Mayers. I hope he's he's doing well right now. (laughs) Didn't think he'd get drafted to the NBA combo. It's Maine and Fitz, Sarah's Maine, Jason Fitz. Uh, Coming up, we've been talking hot seats in the NFL, Fitz, uh, and I think we've mostly focused on quarterbacks, like whose seats are hot, like might be uh, replaced, like maybe Mitchell Trubisky, who did, in fact, lose his gig to Kenny Pickett, um, or even just to teams that are on the hot seat to not be in contention after expectations were higher at the start of the season. But certainly about time now we're far enough into the season to start addressing some coaches who might be at fault for their team's failures and might not have a job next season one of those matt rule we'll get into it with an expert next spain and fitz the podcast spain and fitz on espn radio the espn app and sirius xm channel 80 sarah spain jason fitz espn radio is presented by progressive insurance and you can hit us up on the dr pepper twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. All right. Uh, there's one coach in the NFL I think I've been a little tough on. I, I realize that, you know, I never root for anyone to lose their job, Sarah, but it's difficult not to think that Matt Rule with the Panthers isn't on the hot seat. So we're going to get some insight on that uh, now as we're joined by Ellis Williams, a Panthers beat writer for the Charlotte Observer. Really appreciate your time, Ellis. Thanks so much. Uh, at this point, I'm trying to figure out what the expectations are for Matt Rule moving forward with the Panthers because they've certainly been patient. But at this point, what are, or realistically, what's the sense around the city with the team and with the coach particularly? Well, the sense around the city is everyone's fed up. I mean, this is a fan base that 
went 367 days without seeing a, a home win. And then they beat the Saints and follow that up by just falling apart in the second half at home to the Arizona Cardinals last weekend. So, like, you give them a sliver of hope, and then you follow it up with an abysmal performance to the point where boos are raining down on Matt Rule and Baker Mayfield for most of the fourth quarter on Sunday. Inside the building, things are not nearly as grim, but that's all, that's the contrast, right? I understand where these fans are coming from. They're, they're fed up. They haven't seen a real winner in a long time. I was listening to Chicago local radio yesterday, and they were doing sort of a top five people to blame for the situation the team is in. I want to do that exercise with you because I think Baker looks terrible, but I don't know if it's entirely his fault because nobody has looked good under Matt Rule. I also think the team seemed to make decisions in the offseason that belied a, a, a franchise in position to do something when, in fact, they were way over the cap for next year already without a quarterback under contract. They don't have enough talent to actually compete. So was he set up for failure in, in the beginning? How would you rank, say, the top three most responsible for the Panthers' terrible start? Interesting. I, I think, I mean, the coach would be the first one to say this. It starts with the head coach. It starts with Matt Rule. He has made decisions in the sense of deciding who the offensive coordinator will be, having a large say in who the quarterbacks for these teams were going to be, and then the plan to maximize those decisions. And they didn't work out. Joe Brady was brought here. And after a season and a half, it didn't work out. So he you know, makes an interim change and then a full-time hire in Ben McAdoo. And then they decide Teddy Bridgewater isn't the answer. They go out and acquire Sam Darnold. They decide this past offseason that Sam isn't the answer. And they go get Baker Mayfield. So these decisions at two of the most important spots on an offense, quarterback, play caller, play designer, have not worked out for Matt Rule. Hmm. Matt Rule did decide to draft a left tackle who looks like he's panning out to be the future of that position. Matt Rule has allocated a lot of draft capital to the defensive side of the ball. They've got a a stout front, a sticky secondary, all the things you look for on winning teams. The pass protection, the secondary, playmakers, D.J. Moore, Christian McCaffrey, the pieces are there, but these two critical spots, has taken his entire tenure so far to figure out. We're only four games in to the Ben McAdoo-Baker Mayfield marriage, but it's been rocky, to say the least, at the start. And like I said, rather than giving you you know a rundown of the three, the two next obvious ones for this year would then be in no particular order. You can flip them if you want to. It doesn't matter. Baker Mayfield and Ben McAdoo. This is an offensive problem, and I think everyone in that building would agree with that. So, Ellis, what fixes that problem this season? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, no one wants to hear this, but the offense is not as far away as these box scores suggest. You turn on the tape, and I can show you why the halftime score on Sunday should have been 17 to 3, if not 20 to 3. There's a drop across the middle to second year tight end Tommy Tremble on a third and 11, and if he catches it, worst case scenario, they end eventually getting three points by making a short kick. Their kicker has not missed a, a field goal this year. He drops a wide open pass, fourth down, give the ball back. 
they had the ball Carolina around the 25 yard line when they tried to do a reverse pitch to DJ Moore, Rashad Higgins and Baker Mayfield botched the exchange. DJ Moore would have, if he gets that pitch is running untouched for, you know, 25, 30 yards for a touchdown. This is the NFL. It is a marginal game. And this Panthers team losing the first team in weeks one and two to lose on go-ahead field goals of 55 yards or more in fourth in the fourth quarter or overtime. But that's this league. No one wants to hear those excuses. I'm just trying to lay out why, when you turn the tape on, they're not as far off as it looks, assuming the defense keeps playing like this. But Baker Mayfield said that today, that it's time for the offense to finally do something because they can't rely on their defense and special teams to play excellent every week. That's impossible. Alice Williams, Panthers beat writer for the Charlotte Observer, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can follow him at Book of Ellis. Is it the right move to fire Matt Rule at this point in the season? So at this point, you mean like right now or like after this Sunday, like just soon you're asking yeah. me? Mm-hmm. In my opinion, no. The reason for that being, unless it gives you a hiring advantage and a clear one, I don't see the what you gain from removing your head coach from this situation. In fact, I think owner David Tepper would come off as a patient owner if Matt Rule was given time through when these coaching searches usually start, you know, the the December, January time, when other jobs open up or when perhaps the season is over. This is a locker room that, has a lot of young players in it who are budding stars. J.C. Horn, Jeremy Chin, Brian Burns, D.J. Moore's right there, right? They're, they're, they're impressionable, right? And I understand the counter, like, well, what's the point of sticking around, having a coach stick around whose culture isn't working? But we haven't gotten that sense from the locker room. We're in there every day. Christian McCaffrey today said, I'm in the meetings. Bad football is not being coached. Now you can say that's just what he is supposed to say, or you can – take it from those in the locker room that hear the genuineness and the realness in these players' answers. So I just, it's a long way of saying the timing isn't right yet. An embarrassing blowout loss at home this Sunday, another one in LA, this could change very quickly. That's the NFL for you. We gain new information each week, and then we answer a new set of questions leading up to the next game. I mean, with that being said, Ellis, do you think there's a path where Matt Rule is realistically still the head coach at the end of the season? I mean, is he the head coach next season? Let's say it that way. Is there is there a is there a chance? A realistic there a chance? One. I mean, a realistic chance in your mind. Let me put it this way: there's a pathway, and I think it's a possible pathway. Yeah, I do because there's a few things going in Matt Rule's favor. I've been talking about the defense the whole time, and the numbers speak for itself with what the defense has been able to do. I don't think the offense is as far off as the Sunday performance against Arizona suggests, as I broke down a little bit with what I saw on tape and shared. And then the NFC is just not this juggernaut that the AFC is. You know, the, the NFC South can't figure itself out a lot like the rest of the divisions. I, I went through a, a list, all 32 teams in this league, and I could make a case why 19 of them are uncomfortable with their quarterback situation. So, you know, we are deciding how a team can rectify its path. You have to look at the league as a whole. And it could be advantageous for Matt Rule and these Panthers that they are trying to tread water 
in an NFC that is watered down and perhaps only the division winner might only need nine, eight, seven wins and probably a wild card team too. Real quick before we let you go, what are you looking to see this week that's going to make you feel somewhat more optimistic or at least as a place that you anticipate you'll, you'll be focusing on for some, for some uh, progress? Yeah, third down. This team needs to become either efficient on first and second or just all of a sudden become a team that's converting third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. It's not ideal. It's the furthest from ideal playing the 49ers who sacked the Los Angeles Rams and Matt Stafford six times on Monday night. This is not the stretch of games that you want when you're trying to still figure your offense out, meaning the Niners, the Rams, and then the Tampa Bay Bucks being the Panthers' next three games. I would not bet on this getting rectified, but I'm just saying I see it on tape and there are possible routes to this situation being rectified. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Book of Ellis. Read him in the Charlotte Observer. Ellis, we appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks. Anytime. Appreciate it. That's Ellis Williams joining us with all the insight uh, from the Panthers and frankly, more positive than I expected. I, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie, Sarah. Like, <laughs> seems like the path is there. All right. So many stories, so little time. We will get to all of it next the way only this show can. It's time for Quickies. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM channel lady. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, not Jason Fitz. Only if you're nice, though. I don't feel like dealing with any people that aren't nice today. What do you know? All right, Sarah, we got so much to get to. We're going to do it the way only this show can. It's time for some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, you know what to do here. We're going to go over a bunch of the big news across the sports landscape. And we start... With a retirement, Cole Beasley, veteran wide receiver, retires after 11 seasons. Now, that may not be shocking to some if you just think of the name Cole Beasley. The reason it surprised a lot of people, though, Sarah, is because the 33-year-old Beasley signed with the Bucks practice squad a couple of weeks ago, was called up to the active roster four days later, got action in two games, and then was like, nah, I'm good, I'm out. <laughs> so after two games with the Bucks and two fancy NFL paychecks, he gone. A little surprising with the timing. Yeah, and uh, the joke has been made over and over again that Beasley saw the news about Brady's divorce potentially and was like, I got to get out of here. If I play football for too long, I won't have a husband uh, gig to get back to and a father gig to get back to. Uh, I don't want to make light of anyone's personal life. But, uh, yeah, a lot of this a lot of this been going around on the interwebs. I think it's a strange thing. Um, I don't know if he didn't enjoy the couple weeks there. I don't know if he just thought this team isn't going to be as good as maybe I expected. And so it's not worth it unless it was in it, in it for a ring. Um, but a very surprising decision. Yeah. I think there's a, an element too where there's a very realistic because, you know, Beasley was very, he was honest about the fact that he slid in Brady's DMs to try and get a shot to play with him. That works out. I also don't think it's the end of the world or inconceivable that somebody gets back on a practice field and they're just not feeling it or they don't have the pop they expected to have. And it's like, man, I just don't want to continue down this process if I can't be the best version of myself. So, right. Or uh, that I'll be replaced because those guys are going to get healthy and come back and I'm not going to be his target anymore. Uh, that's, that's fair, too. Like, you come into it and just might not be worth the grind. So Cole Beasley steps away from the game uh, and we'll see what it means. I mean, anytime these guys step away, you always got to wonder if they're going to get the itch again. But it doesn't sound like he will for now. Speaking of stepping away. Quickies. Former Jags quarterback Blake Bortles 
has retired. Now, Bortles! <laughs> the number three overall pick in 2015. He was with the Jacks for five se- seasons. Uh, this was the questionable, should they re-sign Blake Bortles? They did, then it didn't work out. The Jags go to you-know-what, and it starts a complete rebuild there. He didn't tell anybody he retired, uh, so him retiring right now probably caused a lot of people to say, wait, Blake Bortles still around Blake the league? Bortles, I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, gone. He, I mean, he gone. He is, uh, if you if you don't know the reference of Bortles, uh, watch The Good Place. It is one of the greatest shows ever made, and Blake Bortles played a significant role in it. And uh, Ken Tremendous, also known as Mike Shore, who's the creator of that show, was on with Levitard today to uh, give a eulogy to Blake Bortles' career and the incredible place that he played in Jason Mendoza's character in The Good Place and uh, some really, really hilarious Blake Bortles uh, references. So go watch The Good Place. Yeah, and by the way, I just want to remind everybody, Blake Bortles was the number three overall pick in 2015. I know I just said that. Why am I saying it again? It's a reminder to everybody that's looking around saying, we just need to stink so we can draft a quarterback. Uh-huh. The number three pick in 2015 just retired, and most of you said, oh, wow, I forgot about Blake Bortles. I'm just right. saying. It's a reminder. Right. Or, or you know, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, th- second I mean, overall pick. God, there's a, 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 the amount of people that are sitting here stunned that Marcus Mariota's playing with any success, and he was the second. Like, mm-hmm. I just just the, my constant reminder that picking in the NFL draft doesn't mean that you are actually fixing Anything. Mm-hmm. One person that might need to have his head fixed is the guy that uh, was tackled by Bobby Wagner. And that's our next story. Quickies. Look, Monday Night Football, charged in the field. A couple of jerks try and get out there. One guy makes it out on the field, and he's got his smoke bomb that's pink, and he's running around, and nobody can get him. If you haven't seen the video, you should. Uh, security couldn't uh, couldn't nail him, but he went too close to the sideline, and while he was running, Bobby Wagner just... And it just absolutely just crushes him, annihilates him, sends him to the ground. Well, he filed a police report at this point uh, because he says that it was a blatant assault by two Rams players. So uh, this fan that is on the field in protest, running around in a place Mm -hmm. he doesn't belong, gets taken out by two Rams that are there, and he files a police report. This Sarah, like, I know it's quickies. I'm just going to say this is everything that's wrong half the time. I like be old man here. Like, you ran onto a football field where you don't belong, and players have no idea what you might have on you while you're down there, and you get taken out, and then you want to file a police report? Man, I hope somebody comes down with the thunder of the gods. I hope this guy has a limp for the rest of his life so we all know how stupid he was for getting down there in the first place. And the more times these people are taken out when they do this, maybe somebody will think twice. I just wish he'd been hurt more. God. I'm not wishing injury on him, but I agree with you. It's moronic to believe that you're owed anything when you're the one who ran out onto the field. And I think Bobby Wagner was right. He said, I don't, we don't know what they're holding. We don't know what they're carrying. We don't know what their intentions are. And we've certainly seen enough incidents, um, you know, the, the most severe of which are athletes getting stabbed while on their, you know, quarter field. So you don't know what the fan is there with the intention to do. I don't know what the police report is about. I don't know if the person who was, uh, I, I believe was, uh, even though everyone said it was a, a gender reveal because of the pink smoke, um, I think there was actually a protest involved. Maybe the point is that they're hoping that they get even more attention for you know the cause that they care about by the police report and us continuing to cover it. Um, for the website and, and the, the animals that they were trying to protect. Uh, maybe that's the intent here. I can't imagine that they possibly think that they have an argument for, you know, 
police charges. Yeah, I, well, the fact that they're even trying just uh, gets my go. By the way, Wagner did say today that he can't really focus on it. His quote was, I'm more concerned about the security guard that was hurt trying to chase him and the people. Mm. We don't know what that is, and you got to just do what you got to do. So uh, we'll continue to move on, though, with the next story. Quickies. A little positivity here. Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson returns to practice. Why is that positive? Well, remember, five weeks ago, he was shot twice in the leg. So uh, this is somebody that is able to come back. And while he's just just starting the comeback process, he's not uh, necessarily ready for game action. His quote, it was a beautiful day for me as he gets back on the field, get to do what he loves. Yeah, they... Uh... According to the police report, a robbery or a carjacking, um, an unbelievable thing to happen to him just before the start of the season, obviously terrifying. And there was a lot of concern when the story first hit about what the long-term effects could be. So the fact that he is in at practice, even if it's just the mundane stuff, getting back into it is really incredible. Yeah, I'm going to add one more quickie story to this, by the way, as I'm uh, I'm ready to rant to the world. But uh, one more. Quickies. Uh, this is such a cool moment for Max Crosby, my buddy, right? Like Max's girlfriend, uh, fiance, she's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. There's a real question about Max's availability for Monday's game because she could go into labor at any point. I see a lot of fans out there tweeting about, you know, planning pregnancy around football. Stop. Just stop. Like there are things more important than a Monday night football game against the Chiefs. And guess what one of those is? The birth of your child. I've been on the road with so many people that almost missed the birth of their kid or did miss the birth of their kid because we had to play the country music. I will never, Sarah, for the life of me, understand why people can't step back and realize that at some point there are more important things than a football game. And that would be the health of his family, the birth of his beautiful baby, and all of the other things that come with that. Just stop. I completely agree. And also, time it according to the season. Acts like you could just pencil it into your calendar, go nine months back and be like, let's do it then. Like, that's not how it works for some people. It takes years to try to get pregnant. It takes sometimes fertility treatments to try to get pregnant. So whatever allowed them to make a family together, if that was their intention, that should be welcomed at whatever time. Making it about a, a scheduling it for your work, that's a little bit much and yeah. not very realistic. Well, in Max's quote, honestly, I just feel like the universe works in mysterious ways. I feel like it's going to work out in our favor. I can't control it, so I'm just staying positive. Stay positive. See your family, brother. That's all that matters in that situation. F- fans, be better. I'm just saying, as a super fan, be better. Aaron Judge finally did it, hitting home run number 62. We'll talk about Judge and the MLB postseason with our buddy Jeff Passan next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.